Hello and welcome to this Sustainable Wine podcast. This is a recording of a conference session that took place on the 2nd or 3rd of June 2021 as part of Sustainable Wine's Future of Wine Americas Conference 2021. We'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference, BSI, Bodega Argento, Jackson Family Wines, International Wineries for Climate Action and Avenea. Thank you to all of those groups for their important support and I hope you enjoy the session. Welcome everyone to our session on social fairness and how wine can tackle equality well and meaningfully. After a brief introduction by our panelists, um, they will share some background on how their programs and initiatives that they're involved in are improving community engagement and empowering youth in the communities around the wine business. And this is a vast topic, so we're gonna get right to it. Um, I'd like to welcome the panelists and ask Yannick to introduce himself. Hi, good morning, everyone. I am from New York City currently. It's uh, 12.05, so thank you for having me on. Um, I am opening a restaurant called Contento. Today's our first day of friends and family. So a lot's happening. Uh, so I'm like a ball full of energy and anxiety and feeling overwhelmed, but um, it's great to be here on this wonderful panel. I know a lot of you, I follow all of you on this panel, so it's such a blessing um, to be around such accomplished individuals who are making such a strong impact. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. Let's see, who's up next? Alicia. Uh, Leah, would you please introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Leah Jones, and I'm the Executive Director of Diversity in Food and Beverage, um, and we're a nonprofit that advocates, supports, and promotes diversity and inclusion within the food and beverage industry. I'm in New York in Harlem, Yannick, so if you need help with your friends and family, if you yes. need help with this, oh, I'm here. <laughs> um, oh, I'm yeah, you'll get a text from me. I'll call you after. <laughs> but yes, um, I primarily am in uh, Belize, Central America. Um, but because I study WSET, I come to the States very often so I can um, get wine samples and uh, study. And um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Leah. Alicia, would you tell us about yourself? Sure. And Yannick, I'm in Boston. So it's just a quick train ride. Friends and family sounds great. Uh, <laughs> Yes, we definitely, I'll be in Boston in a couple of weeks, so I'll have to give you a, a little call or text. That'd be great. So I'm Alicia Towns Franken. I'm a member of Wine Unify. I serve on the board and I head mentorship. And Wine Unify was something that was formed last year where we welcome, elevate and amplify voices of color in the wine industry. Um, my day job, I am the, I head the wine portfolio for a canned wine company called Archerus. Fantastic, thank you. And last but not least, Carissa. Yeah, good morning or good afternoon, I guess, depending on or good evening where you are in the world. Um, really excited to be part of this conversation. Carissa Cruz, I run the Sonoma County Wine Growers and probably more important for this conversation, the Sonoma County Grape Growers Foundation, which is really um, working to elevate our local vineyard workers in our community. Great, thanks, Krista. We definitely want to hear more about the, more about the programs that you're involved in because I know there are many and we haven't sorted them all out yet. <laughs> so let's dive right in. Thanks for the intros, um, Yana. Can you tell us a little bit about Wine on Wheels? I yes. I really wanted to hear more about Wine on Wheels. 
Sure. Uh, One on Wheels was started about uh, in 2012. That's when we became an official 501c3. We actually fall under the umbrella of Wheeling Ford, which is what I co-founded. And One on Wheels um, is also actually going through the process of becoming its 501c3 as well. But uh, Wheeling Ford was started uh, by myself and my colleague uh, and my best friend, Alex Olagudin. We both met in rehab um, because we were both in two separate car accidents, recovering, um, we're both spinal cord injured. Uh, the one thing that we noticed um, on the same floor, there were probably about 20 other patients. Um, we were one of the few people that had that constant love, care and support of our family, our friends, while the others did not. Um, both um, Alex and myself, we come from, you know, we're families of immigrants. Um, we, uh, you know, modest background, but we still had financial resources to make small home modifications, which go a long way. A lot of these individuals did not have that finance, those financial resources to, you know, whatever it is, grab bars in the bathroom, widening the doorways, things of that nature. And we just thought, wow, this is really, gosh, talk about like, yes, we're in a bad situation, but we're at the same time, so incredibly lucky. And um, I think there's this real obsession in our community uh, about walking again. And of course, it's, it, that would be a beautiful thing. But, you know, what about if we just had organizations that focused on the current present moment and providing individuals to enhance their quality of life? And that's how really uh, Wheeling Ford came about. And then Wine on Wheels was the fundraising arm. Um, all these wonderful people in the wine, hospitality industry, contributing their time, their products, whatever it is, so we can raise money, so we can actually support our initiatives and mission. And that's how it all came about. That is fantastic. So you found a, you found a revenue stream, a way to provide revenue to get the work done. Correct. And this is really very basic, fundamental quality of life work, right? It's about someone's quality of life. So how do you see the wine industry um, responding now? What Do you have anything planned for 2021 or 2022? Definitely 2022. I still think I'm very, I'm very hesitant. I'm trying to do something in 2021, you know, um, maybe smaller wine dinners, uh, things of that nature. But traditionally, we, we would do a lot of big grand tastings. Um, our biggest one, which was Wine on Wheels, we would have anywhere from about 400 to about 550 people in the same room that were certainly, I don't think we're ready for that. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be responsible for something of that magnitude, but I think 2022, we might be able to do things like that. Um, but if we do, I still think it'll probably have to be somewhere outdoors, maybe a large tent. I don't know um, where there's air circulation. Um, so I'm still, I'm very careful about that. I know a lot of the people that support Wheeling Ford and that are part of Wheeling Ford have compromised immune systems. So something to be very much aware of, but yeah, I'm, I'm, listen, um, the wine industry, um, the hospitality industry, incredibly generous. I mean, everybody works really busy schedules, but I very rarely have, have I had someone tell me, no, I can't participate. Or if they said, no, there's usually a very good reason and it's understandable, but yeah, very, very good people. <laughs> right. So you're bringing together the, enti the entire wine industry, sommeliers, you know, people who work in right. service, people who work in all aspects of the industry come together to support these events and volunteer right. their time and their talents to raise the funds uh, for these events. So this is really very um, community inclusive, bringing yeah. everyone together to, to help this particular group that I mean, I think that is a that is definitely a model for success. <laughs> We, we try to pride ourselves. I mean, I think when you, as, if anyone has ever come to a Wine on Wheels event, 
you know, the one, the greatest compliment that I ever got was, wow, there's such a motley crew of different people here, you know, because generally speaking, people that would go to a wine tasting, uh, or if you went to a wine tasting, most of the people look like me, right? Um, so we really try to, to keep it, you know, you have people uh, that are black and brown, you have people that are Asian, you have people that are, are that have a disability, you know, um, so I, that's what we try to do. Certainly, uh, it's something that we want to continue to grow and do better. And eventually make sure that there's a there's an even playing field where there's, you know, I'd love to see more people in wheelchairs tasting wine or more uh, black and brown people tasting wine than, than people that look like me. That would be like, that'd be great. Or that we're not even having this conversation anymore, you know, but that, 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 that's the ultimate goal um, for sure. Great. Well, it sounds like you're, you're well on your way toward achieving it. Absolutely. And Thank do you. keep us all informed about how we can, we can contribute even from a distance with regard Thank to you. the, to your work going forward, because it's very, very important work. So I'm going to uh, move to Leah and ask Leah to talk a little bit about her um, current initiatives or projects. Um, I'm going to, this, this is a great segue because Yannick, we still have to talk about this, but uh, we are also focused on World Day of Giving, um, which is coming up pretty soon. And um, just thinking about what Yannick said uh, and different spectrums and enclaves of diversity. Um, I think it's really important for us to understand who each other, who we are and how to interact with each other. Um, so we have a series coming up where um, we're focusing on um, ableism and bringing this up as a conversation um, in the wine community and how to interact with each other when someone is blind or when somebody's deaf or when you're um, interacting with them in a space where maybe it's not accessible. Um, how do we make these uncomfortable conversations um, the norm, the normative that it's not comfortable, that it's not uncomfortable anymore. So um, with diversity in food and beverage, um, again, we're here to advocate, support and uh, promote diversity and inclusion. I think that, um, you know, we started out in 2018 as diversity in wine and spirits. Um, and then I got certified and understanding exactly what diversity and inclusion was. Um, I think sometimes we have a misconception that when you see someone that is in a marginalized or a disenfranchised group, that they automatically understand and know how diversity and inclusion works. They might have a lived experience um, that they can speak to, their personal experience as to who they are, um, but that doesn't look at the big picture of what it actually takes to actually implement initiatives for diversity and inclusion. So. Um, our organization is really focused on making sure that we set best practices and benchmarks to, to help people along the way. There's a lot of people that have, again, uh, like Yannick mentioned, there are people that are like here to support um, and willing to come to the table and make change. But we all need a little bit of direction to figure out what that looks like and, and how to get to point A to B. So that's why, uh, that's why we're here. Um, and some of the things that we're doing, um, we are in the process of finishing our rebranding. So you'll see on social media, we're diversity in food and beverage. Our website is this week actually going to transition into diversity in food and beverage. So we're gonna be releasing our scholarships, um, internship opportunities, professional development, which is really bespoke, um, focusing on that person instead of putting them in a group. So if a person identifies for example, as transgender, 
um, we would put them in the professional development program and have somebody um, of that spectrum kind of help them in that space because they have the same lived experience. Um, and so we're really excited to be rolling out our uh, programs and um, announcing our partnerships for 2021. That is so exciting. I love this this one-on-one type of mentorship and guidance that you are that, that you're really focused on. I mean, as an educator, I reach lots of different folks, you know, on a daily basis, but rarely do I have an experience of one-on-one with someone. And so I think that can be incredibly valuable. And I don't see that as being that obvious or that common in in what I see in terms of the diversity programs that are out there. So, or the types of uh, education programs for that matter. So this is a very unique niche way of uh, supporting uh, this space. It's really fantastic. Thank you. So Alicia, tell us what you're up to. Uh I'd love to, and that's a perfect segue. So thank you Leah for that, for teeing that up. Um, so Wine Unify, we launched last year, um, Mary Margaret McKimmick and um, Martin Reyes and Delan Proctor, and we are rooted in education because education is power. And um, we have three pillars for Wine Unify. We welcome, we elevate, and we amplify. And for a welcome award, you do not need to be in the wine industry, nor do you want need to want to go into the wine industry. You just maybe want to learn about wine. Um, our elevates are people who are in the industry and need some a little bit more. And then our amplifies are people who are killing it already. And we just want to shout their names. Um, so we pay for everything. We pay for their W set from level one through the diploma. Um, but we also give them all the resources they need as well. And that's the wine, that's the Corvan, that's um, publications. but. I think probably the most important part of, of, of One Unify is the mentorship. Um, we do group mentoring as well as one-on-one. And as the head of mentorship for our one-on-one mentoring, I pair our people with um, our recipients with some of our, our mentors who are just absolutely amazing from wine writers to winemakers to psalms to every part of the hospitality industry you can imagine. You know, people do come for the education and they stay for the community. Um, We have to date given 50 awards and our last round of welcome um, just a few weeks ago, the age group was between 21 and 76. And our 76 year old was a, is a social justice lawyer of 50 years who has bought a a B&B and wants to do wine dinners for her guests. And she brings so much perspective to it. Um, And instead of doing it alone, we like them to work in cohorts. So they do their mentoring together for some of our group things, but then they also reach out. And um, I love how they are connecting. See, what else? That's a lot, that's a busy place. (laughs) It's busy and it's wonderful. And I feel like the mama bear. don't think I'm the oldest, but um, I do feel a lot of calls for people who didn't realize they could be in the industry or didn't know that there are people doing things in the industry. Um, and there are so many things that we want to reimagine, whether it's language or just getting the information out there that you are here and we've always been here. I've been in the industry for longer than I'd like to admit, but um, 
it's just been so, it's the, the most empowering, beautiful thing I've done um, in the last few years. And it gives me so much joy just to see these faces every day and how they connect offline without us as well. That is very sustaining. That that joy and that that empower that it empowers you as well as all of the folks that you're that you're reaching. It's fantastic. Really, absolutely. Love to hear it. Much they get they get out of this relationship. You're not going to burn out anytime soon doing this work, right? No. It's really just no. going to keep feeding feeding that motivation and that that uh, energy toward what you're doing. So, Carissa, I know you've got a lot to talk about. So, please. Tell us what's up with Sonoma County wine growers. Yeah, I'll jump in. So I think I'm more of a segue probably from the earlier conversations about how do you shift from really thinking as a wine region about your environmental sort of sustainability and climate farming into the people piece, which I think is where the link is with all of us here in this conversation is that there are real people, real stories, uh, emotions, passion um, behind every bottle of wine. And so for us, you know, we as a community um, in Sonoma County, we made a big commitment to sustainability back in 2014. And then really realized as we were getting into sort of our farming practices, again, it was our vineyard workers um, that we really started to talk about and say, how do we elevate not only them, but their role in our community, their role in our farms. Um, and so we looked at something we used, um, we had a, a nonprofit, the Sonoma County Grape Growers Foundation had been around since 2002 really just providing education in Spanish, um, safety education, English as second language classes um, to our farm worker community. And we said, let's take that, let's turn it upside down. And how do we use that, that vehicle to, to do more to elevate our local vineyard workers? And so we actually started, um, and you know, I'm a geeky uh, MBA student where I like to write business plans and get very strategic. And we, we did the very opposite. Instead, we actually invited a number of our vineyard workers into just have conversations with us. So in Spanish, and we asked them, you know, how do we, if you needed resources, if you needed support, if you needed to feel um, more included in what we're doing, how do we do that? Like, what, what can we do to, to support you, support your families, um, regardless of documentation? So I think that was probably the first learning is there's a lot of fear out there, not a surprise, I think, to anyone on this call around, um, you know, being an undocumented potential worker in, in the U.S. And so, um, we brought them in and that was really the foundation for then how do we build a program in our foundation to support our vineyard workers. And so we looked at areas like housing, um, healthcare, childcare was a big one, depending on sort of, especially a lot of women starting to go into um, working in, a, in our vineyards um, or getting jobs as sort of their kids aged, um, as well as workforce development, clearly very important. And then just as we were getting started, uh, we had the 2017 wildfires in Sonoma County. And so all of a sudden we realized overnight that actually one of the biggest roles we could play was during a crisis. And sadly, the crisis keep coming. It seems like year after year, especially with COVID, obviously that's been upon us uh, for the last, you know, 18 months, 16 months. And so we, we all of a sudden created a whole new, I want to say area around, you know, resiliency and recovery. And, and we were doing things like paying rent support for two years, for a family that may have been displaced by the fires. We were buying RVs um, you know, for temporary housing, giving gift cards out to pay for you know, replacement of food items and a refrigerator if you had to be evacuated for five days. So really looking how we make sure 
that there was no, um, that no one needed to feel like they needed to leave our community because they couldn't afford to stay and, and make it through this crisis timing. And so, uh, but we, um, I would say, but in addition to that, so that's one thing we do. And I think we've learned how to do that sadly well, um, but we really leveraged sort of this model where through our work in the wine growers, we work with all the grape growers in the community. So with one email, with one phone call, essentially we can reach the entire vineyard um, and our vineyard worker community. And so we, we really use those sort of trusted relationships between the employer and the employees to, to bridge and bring programs. And most recently um, we were able to vaccinate our entire um, vineyard worker community. By the end of March, we had over 6,000 vineyard workers. And that was through you know, a partnership with our local community health centers. Um, we now have those partnerships are looking how do we do that um, more proactively, not in a crisis, but bring mobile health clinics out to our vineyards to really educate and provide, um, you know, healthcare, you know, on the ground. And so we're really excited about that and looking at models of, you know, co-ownership of land. You know, it's hard to be a next generational landowner um, when you didn't grow up in a farming family, which not everyone, I'm, I'm new to the farming world, not new to farming in a sense, but new to, to vineyards and, and wine grape growing. And so how do you get to jump in? It's so hard to, to break through those barriers. And so how do we help those next generation um, folks become farmers, become business owners, become homeowners, landowners. And so we're doing a lot of collaboration um, and sharing of sort of how do we make that happen locally? And we're really excited about that. It's extraordinary. There, so yeah, it's extraordinary that you took an, basically an emergency response mechanism and have now been able to channel it and evolve it to further down the line to helping people actually, you know, uh, become landowners. I mean, that's extraordinary that that spectrum could exist and, and could it could evolve so quickly from that emergency response effort. I mean, it's extraordinary. And I know it's you've, you've really given us an idea of the breadth of the program, but I know that it's really um, improving the quality of everyone's life in, <laughs> that works in the industry in Sonoma County. And I know we have a panel coming up on migrant labor, which is a very sobering topic, but yeah. um, we were we were thinking vaccine inequity might be an issue. Well, clearly not in Sonoma County. Mm -mm. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about all of us, right? The core of it is having trusted relationships and building those trusts and creating those partnerships and collaboration. And I think it doesn't matter what what our end approach is. That's sort of the foundation. I think that I've been hearing for all of us in this conversation. That is, it's such good news. I'm so empowered. You know, I teach at Santa Rosa JC right there in the heart of uh, Russian River Valley in, in, in Sonoma County. So to know that that's going on all around me is actually reassuring and, and in, in some small way, really very encouraging because I know that I have some of those second generation students in my classes, sitting yeah. in my classes and, and earning their certificates, earning their associate degrees. Um, okay, well, we need now we need to talk about how we can bring all of the things that we're doing independently together and collaborate because every we're, I don't think that I don't think that everyone here feels like a silo. Right, but we're you're so in, involved and immersed in in the, with the groups that you're working with and the folks that you're working with that you know, is the idea of collaboration among all of these wonderful entities, um, you know, really a possibility? Is there time for that? Is there energy for that? Or, or are we just focused on the demographics and the audiences that, that 
we're addressing specifically. Oh, go ahead, Yannick, you, you unmuted, go ahead. <laughs> no, go, you sure? Okay. Um, actually, um, here in the U.S., we have the Diversity in Wine um, Leadership Forum, and it's brought a lot of our, our organizations together that focus on um, this kind of work. And, um, you know, I think that it's been an, an impactful initiative um, because we get to see where what we're doing and if anything intersects, and then we get to connect. And I think from, um, I believe the website is... Yes, diversityandwineforum.com. Um, yes, it brings everybody together and, you know, there's synergies. So, you know, most of the organizations, again, um, that are in this space, just looking at what we're doing and collaboration. So you'll see a lot of us are on um, each other's panels or on each other's initiatives. Um, and I think it's very important and it is, it is sustainable um, to have this, this enclave of people coming together. Um, I love the model and it's something that we should broaden out, not just in the US, but um, abroad. But right now we also have um, some Canadian uh, nonprofits in this space as well. Um, and they're all doing just different unique things. And it's just like, wow, this is amazing. So um, I'll put that in the chat, but I definitely think, um, you know, ha looking at that model, we need to see um, we need to include more people into that uh, forum, but it's definitely a great start. Great. So th there is a place, there is a place online where folks like yourself who are leading these types of initiatives and uh, can come together and share best practices and, and see unique things that people are doing because people are extremely resourceful and very opportunistic and finding ways to, to really bring empowerment to the work that they're doing. I mean, I'm sure that I, I could definitely learn some things by checking out that forum. <laughs> great. So I was, I was wondering, really Deborah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what you asked was such a great question. Cause I think, you know, from my perspective, I sit, you know, we're, we're part of a global business essentially, right. In wine, but we sit in a small community, right. We were talking about in Sonoma County and I, I would love to, brainstorm ways to better connect and share those programs. I mean, I think so often we try to build from, you know, the bottom up and it'd be great to be able to layer in those learnings, even especially learnings from other areas and what you're doing. I mean, I, I think of all these accomplished programs and, and folks just on this panel and there's just sometimes little nuggets of ideas that you're like, oh, I could actually use that. And that would be a great way to support our local community. And, and so I would love to brainstorm more ways we could do that because I think um, being being connected is so important. So I just wanted to add, I don't have the answer, but I think more collaboration is, is due and much, much appreciated. I think that's exactly right where I was trying to go with that is to say, you know, there, there has to be a place where maybe we, we could share ideas and best practices, um, uh, you know, in a, in a really straightforward and kind of simple way, maybe just by jumping online and posting in a discussion forum, hey, we did this, hey, we did that, this worked really well. You know, sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You simply need to look at what someone else has done, what Yannick is doing with Wine on Wheels as a model for success of how to bring a very disparate and disconnected community to, together um, behind one really, really important cause. I really wanted our conversation to focus on education because as an educator, it's really important to me. And I am very closely aligned with the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. And I know Leah and Alicia and a lot of you are very familiar with WSET. And um, I look at what they're doing 
globally, and I'm very impressed. And what WICT is doing globally is partnering with industry groups like Provine and um, and some uh, and there are a couple other folks that have um, founded scholarship organizations partnering with WSET producer groups um, that uh, are able to educate large numbers of people. And there's never been a better time than now to enter the wine industry. And I don't know if you all agree with that, but I, based on where I'm sitting, I think it's it's a perfect time to get into the business, right? And and what you're doing is you're providing avenues for people to do that, right? You're opening the door. The door is open. The welcome mat is out. Come on into our industry. Find out where you fit. Use your talents and skills and, and enjoy this incredible industry that we have. You know, it's an amazing industry. I think WCT for me has been, uh, was my path into the industry. Absolutely. And I'm curious if any of you are currently um, collaborating with any folks who offer WSET certification or other than your own personal path. No? Sorry, um, I'll, 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 okay. Sorry, Leah, go ahead, please. No, Yannick, I, we already did this. It's your turn. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say one thing um, in regards to education um, and, you know, making it enticing for people to join the industry. I just want to say one thing. I, I still don't think we've learned our lesson with COVID. And I think the biggest issue that we have that we're still not addressing is that there's no proper medical insurance and a network for people to fall back on. And why I'm saying this is that the majority of people that have disabilities and even people that are from other marginalized communities are on Medicaid. And when you're on Medicaid, you're restricted by um, a certain financial um, incomes. If you, if you exceed a certain amount, you lose it. And because of that, if you're someone with a disability and you're very reliant on, on you know, really important medical supplies, catheters, whatever it is, whatever your disability may be, but you exceed that income, then you lose that, and then you lose the actual um, uh, supplies that you may be getting. And so until we fix what's happening in the wine, hospitality, and restaurant industry with insurance, and this also applies to uh, people that we have in the wine industry in California, in New York, in Washington, migrant workers who are not insured. Um, so the incentive of like trying to make a career out of it is it's not that great. And if you notice, we do have many people that come into the industry, but for as many people that come into the industry, I know a lot of people that leave because they say, well, I don't have a 401k plan. No one's matching my 401k plan. Um, there's just no financial um, backing um, incentive. That's why a lot of people may go into government or in corporate or all that kind of stuff. And we get criticized in the wine industry for working for bigger companies, but there's a reason why people go for, to work for bigger companies because there's that safety net. How do we create a better safety net when we have over 11 million people that work in the hospitality industry, but yet we still don't talk about that. And I don't know if we've really learned our lesson. So collaboration, you know, should be all of these nonprofits or organizations coming together, unifying and creating one union. Everyone has their um, uh, goals, but as a, as, a, as a collective group, how do we make this a, a better safety net for everybody? A, a pension plan. Yeah, you raise a really, really valid point. And I know yesterday when I was listening to the session, I was listening to um, listening to Tony say, people outside companies that are looking at our industry, um, there's no money here. 
you know, and that's that, I mean, that that's, that's from the top down. So how, how to do that, how to establish that, what is a vital baseline um, requirement um, for people when resources are, you know, really limited. I was just going to add one thing we found um, that was interesting for us because absolutely resources are limited. And so what we were trying to do through our foundation work was not create new programs that needed funding, but instead go find those partners that have programs and actually need people in an audience and need participants in those programs. And it was interesting for us because we're like, we don't want to be another nonprofit in Sonoma County. We have, I mean, it's, we're blessed with a, a thousand plus nonprofits that are doing great work. So instead of recreating something, we, we met with most, we kind of did an open community invite and said, hey, if you're working in any of these spaces and could work to provide some of those resources to support our vineyard workers, come meet with us. And we had like 80 people show up in 50 different organizations. And we said, let's bridge instead and let us be the resource to help you bring people together versus starting from the very beginning because there, there's limited money and we're all going after the same grant dollars and we're all going after the same you know, support. And it's like, it, it, we gotta, instead, how do we collaborate and, and, and sort of leverage that instead of compete with it? And I think um, that will help because you're right, the wine industry overall, the wine community, farming community, we're very small. And so we're not always the attractive first place um, for people to put resources. So at least in our local community, we really try to do that. And I think that's a model that, you know, as Yannick was saying, that was that we kind of need to do, you know, more broadly. That's an excellent point, Carissa. One thing I, I have observed, particularly with regard to not to not address the idea of health insurance, but something like scholarships. Now, in the last 18 months, I've seen a tsunami of scholarships. And particularly through Fresno State, where I'm currently studying, they are going begging because there are not enough people that, to take advantage of those scholarships. So this idea of this open community invite where you can maybe pool resources from a, a broader, uh, a much broader reach, pool them so people can, we can match people with resources, which, you know, I see, I've seen a dozen scholarships, very important, significant scholarships with no takers. So scholarships are not going to scholarships are not going to fund healthcare. So Yannick, I don't know where we're going to go from here with that. How can I don't know that we can solve that problem in this session? But if we, certainly if we have ideas you want to throw on, you know, throw against the wall, let's do it, and maybe we can find maybe we can um, bridge to someone who can help solve the problem, right? I'm going to say, I think that, you know, there's, again, going back to goodwill and really understanding diversity and inclusion. I think there was a call to action um, in 2020 and people were ready to come to the table and do good work. And they said we had a problem in the wine community regarding diversity. Well, I've asked people, well, what exactly is that problem? Because if you're saying that there's a plethora of scholarships and there's not enough people to take these scholarships. What is that? What actually is a problem? And I feel that, you know, again, there's good work and, you know, we're excited to say we've done, you know, we're offering these opportunities, but you're offering opportunities to people that have been historically disenfranchised um, that you don't even understand. And that goes back to me speaking with Yannick and 
saying we need to talk about ableism. Why? Because then we're talking about that gives us the core at, at, where, at where we are and understanding what the actual issues are. Now he's going into talking about insurance and what really plagues these communities. If you don't take the time to really understand what diversity is and that it's a spectrum, it's not just gender, it's not just race, um, it's a spectrum of different people that identify in these different categories. And if you're not taking the time to understand why they've been historically disenfranchised, why they have these issues, what are the barriers, then in actuality, you are creating an issue, not doing that research, because that money that we're spending on scholarships should be money that we're spending on working together as a community to gather this data and analytics and gather this information and slow down. And uh, this is something I've learned, you have to slow down sometimes to speed up, slow down and let's take a moment. We will, we will, as a community, make more impact if we slow down and really understand each other. Understand that the, it's not just a barrier to entry, you know, to get money for a scholarship to learn. It's also the inequities. Why would I go for a scholarship if like Yannick was mentioning, for me, you know, Medicaid insurance is an issue. How come we're not talking about these issues? And again, bringing us together collectively as a cohort, you know, um, this is an international forum. What are other people doing abroad? Because what's happening here in the US, we don't have the same systems and the same challenges that we're facing abroad, but are they doing something different that maybe we can learn from and vice versa? Because I have a lot of people from the UK that reach out to us and they're like, you guys are doing something different. But we don't have the same issues that you do. You, well, we, have we don't have socialized medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah as a baseline. 100%. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah, maybe we could uh, use socialized medicine. Well, I think, uh, you know, at least, Alicia, do you have an observation or comment, please? You've been very quiet and I'd love to hear it from you. Um, I would love to say something, actually. I was listening to everyone, and, and Leah, you're absolutely right, and Yannick and, and Carissa as well. It's, um, if you really want someone, it goes beyond just giving them money and letting them go. Um, it, it's, it's all the parts and the pieces and the resources that they need. And there are times that donors need to just give money and give it, get out of the way, just get out of our way and let the people do it and who know how to do it. Um, meaningful change will not happen if we are performative, if we are on trend. This is not something that's going away. I mean, as much as we'd love Wine Unify for the reasons we started it to not have to be here, you know, the community aspect of it, the safe spaces that people feel, being able to be there, I, I, I apologize for all of these like sayings that I'm, I'm using, but it's so true. Being your full self, you know, I just, the, the stress of not being heard or seen, but to Yannick's point, healthcare. Um, um, just, I'm thinking that what I was hoping from COVID and the other pandemic of social and, and racial unrest, that we would come out of this knowing exactly how we're living 
and how we're affecting other people's lives as well. And to have our eyes open and to see what can we do to be better. Because if we go back, and to your point, Yannick, the restaurant industry took a huge hit. It made it just how incredibly obvious was it that this is not sustainable. Like this is a real job. This is a industry that people love. It's not necessarily the thing you're going to do to get to the next step. And you can't survive on 5% margins. And I understand leaving that industry to go corporate because you get healthcare, you get benefits. Um, and it's, the hospitality industry is amazing. I, I absolutely love it. But we really need to change how it's looked at, not just from the people who work within it, but also the people who benefit from it. I couldn't agree to, to your point more. I couldn't agree to your point more, but I think, I think all of us would agree that education, and I know, I, I know it to be true that, that education plays a really vital role in doing all of that. Now, who takes on, who t we're willing to take on the education of the people that want to enter the industry, right? We're all willing to do that. But who's willing to take on the consumers and educate them about the change that needs to happen, that they're going to have to pay more for products, that they're, that that health insurance, well, in San Francisco, it is part of the, the tab when you get your restaurant bill, right? We have laws here that um, include those charges. Um, so consumers are paying in markets like San Francisco are paying for healthcare for restaurant workers, right? So maybe it's that uh, in some communities or in some cities like San Francisco, we're in a bit of a bubble. That's not the norm, right? That's not the norm in the United States. It's the norm in the community that I live in. And so maybe I've come to accept that norm and, and now am willing to, am looking past it toward other things. I don't know. I mean, we have to, Yannick, you wanna, ch you wanna chime in here? I just wanted to say one thing about education. Um, I think the education system that we have when it, when it pertains to wine is in many ways a failure. And what I mean by that, that it's a failure is that we're too hung up on trying to teach people all the Grand Cru's and single vineyards and all this geeky stuff that we probably use maybe 10% of the time. But what we're not doing is creating an environment where we're empowering people with the actual knowledge to make them better business owners, to make, to give them a more of an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I think the W set does a really good job when it comes to certain aspects of the business, but you know, we we've gone on for too long with this whole, you know, you know, worshiping this blind tasting, worshiping, you know what I mean? And blind tasting, it, it's a nice skill. It's not it's all of us, Yannick. <laughs> but uh, right. But you, but I think, you know, we need to, you know, you know, back to what Alicia was saying, that we're running on 5% margins. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons for that is that if you if you meet people that are in the industry, they can't really talk to you about numbers. They don't fully understand the numbers, right? Um, they couldn't tell you what the meaning, and we need to get into that. And it, not, just, not just in restaurants, but in the uh, budgeting for a winery or in distribution and importing like Alicia. And we just don't do any of that. And that's something that definitely needs to change, empowering people with more numbers driven education and how to become more business savvy. You know, and I totally want to build on that because I think we do the same thing in our vineyards. So we look at our vineyard workers and we say, okay, we're going to teach you how to be better pruners. We're going to teach you more about pest management. We're going to do all this. And what we're learning is to step back and say, 
that's not where the real value comes in our education. It comes by teaching financial skills. It comes with communication skills, conflict resolution skills. So it's a softer communication that then elevates the, our workforce because now they're able to communicate with their, you know, with their employer about what they need or what their family needs or that they want to be promoted and they're able to ask those questions and be a more engaged part of our community. So I think it's not just on the wine and the wine tasting where we get caught up on that. It's in our grape growing as well. It's, it's, it's back to the, the comment about being the whole person. So I'm going to, I'm going to champion that as well and, and recognize that we need those skills too. And I, that's where, you know, for our foundation, where we're moving um, forward with is the education on that, on that piece, not, not, not how to be a better pruner. We've got that. Got that covered. So I, I do think what Leah and Alicia are doing, what Yannick's doing, uh, it is the softer skills. And that, that I'm so glad that we've kind of, we've got that, we've got that on the table now, right? It's like soft skills education. Okay. So where are the scholarships for that type of education? They're not, no, I'm not seeing them. Um, yeah, this, this goes back to that professional development and Carissa, like I commend you on that because, you know, we were, we were saying like, again, it's not barrier to entry. What about the people that are here? I used to, I started in this, in this business. I remember I was a food, I was um, a food runner. I am now the executive director of a nonprofit. And when I look at picking people on my board and advisory, I'm thinking about, you know, the, the dishwasher that has been with companies that I've worked with like 11 Madison Park that are just badass, you know, but they don't have, they're not fine polished as the bias that we have that when we see people on boards and positions of power, it's well-known people, but we're not listening to the people that we're saying we're here to support. If you are in a position of power, if you have privilege, and you're not taking the time to ask the people that are there currently right now in your industry, what your needs are and how to develop them into a position that their voice is heard. And you don't have to ask anymore because their voice is so amplified that they can themselves not need you, someone of privilege, and I have my own privileges too, but building up that professional development to have people that are, again, have been marginalized have been historically disenfranchised say, I can speak up, I don't need you to ask. I'm in a place in the wine industry where I am heard, I am valued, and that's what we need to be working on. Um, and I think that's important. The education, again, I respect it. I think it's, an, I think it's important. Yannick, I have a bias because I took a blind tasting and I got pinotage wrong. We're not going to get into that. But I go falling back onto like, what else is there besides the education? It's leadership. We're not talking about getting people that have historically, again, been marginalized, overlooked on boards in leadership positions. It's who we know that have already had, you know, has privilege, that has a name. But what about the people that really make this industry tick? You know, it's very important. We, these are the workers that make our industry. They need to be at the table and they need to be heard. Yeah, I see a path to I see a path to being heard, um, which is to take advantage of a $50,000 scholarship to get an MBA to then sit on a board with an MBA under your belt and and have your voice be heard. Um, you know, I 
cannot, you know, I'm married to a person of color, but I cannot speak personally to that. But I, ne I have not never felt as a wine professional that there was any privilege attached to anything that I've done. So um, as a woman, particularly. So I, and I don't understand, and I don't have a good vision for what that path would be other than education. Well, it's, it's having a uniform, the education part. It's the uniform and then you don't have to think about it. it, it you, can, you belong in that room. But to your point, Leah, representation is so incredibly important. You have to have the right voices at the table um, because then they'll bring their other voices with them. And to your point, Yannick, it's, the onus is also on the beverage providers, the, 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 the wineries and the distributors and who will walk into a restaurant and sell people things they don't need. There's 10 different vodkas. And how do you run a business and not really know how to run a business? But it, it, some of the onus is also on the providers to help educate the people and not just go for the dollars and to have every single item that you have in your portfolio that they don't necessarily need in their, their establishment. Again, this goes back to, you talk about consumers, uh, just, you know, I'm gonna take away from the wine for a minute. Um, so Hallmark, for example, they were trying to increase their sales um, for cards and they tapped into uh, a worker that was working at Hallmark who was Hispanic, um, identified as Hispanic. And they didn't think about it. And this was this is one of their biggest selling cards. They didn't think about quinceanera, which is instead of a sweet 16th, yeah, yeah, yeah. sweet 15. And they didn't think about this at all. And it's tapping into these voices because that person would never be on a board to present ways that we can increase profit but it was with this worker that said, hey, how come you don't have cards for this? And this is one of their number one selling cards in Macy's because we're, you know, that the, you know let's talk about the bias, but you know, you get a lot of people uh, that are diverse that go to Macy's and it's their number one selling card. And think about that. We are overlooking because that person that gave that suggestion that, that was in that space at the table for leaders to listen to what needs to, to happen, it served the consumer and the consumer is now like, oh man, I can get this card. Who has this card? Hallmark. Everybody wins when we start listening to people and, and we won't have the same privilege. I will never have the same privileges or challenges of another spectrum of who I am, but that doesn't mean that my opinion, my expertise, my experience should not be valued because guess what? Everybody wins when someone takes the time and says, oh, you know, like I didn't think about this event because it's not part of our social norm. We have to start changing minds. I think we have to just open it up. We just have to broaden our horizons. We have to start looking out, you know, beyond the boundaries of, our, of, of the norm of our box and try to see the bigger picture. I see a comment from Tanya Raw, she's talking about WSET. And she said she could see WSET adding modules that integrate some of the issues we're talking about, like the soft skills issues. So why not take an, an effective and existing program like WSET and broaden it to include softer skills? 
particularly at levels two and three where people start. So there's dozens and dozens of scholarships for WSET level two. They're, they're just li almost limitless number of scholarships for that, for that particular um, education path. So what if that included um, some ways to think about the wine business or think about sustainability or think about um, how to communicate, um, how to communicate your, and have your voice heard? I mean, that would, to me, that seems like a very constructive way to, um, to move this forward. Any thoughts on that? They do that at the Pluma program, but I, I don't know about the, I, I don't necessarily, I think I see W3, they mentioned um, climate impact, but they do have a um, wine business. And this is something that's been implemented in terms yeah, of- Yeah, no, we, I think in diploma, I'm a diploma. Um, it's changed since 2009. We have to watch our time too, folks. Um, it's changed since 2009, but um, it's not enough. <laughs> Sorry, it scratches the surface. So we are we, we are running down in our time here. I am keeping an eye on the clock. So um, now we started at uh, we started at ten after. So I think we still we have about ten minutes left. So I just want to make sure that we've covered all of uh, you know we've covered the points that people think are really important here. I know we've kind of gone deep into the into um, the idea of what the real need is with re with regard to education and you know, how education itself could be broadened to bring more voices in. And I think those are really, really key and important points. I know all of us have, could credit education to where we are now. I mean, wouldn't you, each of you as panelists say that education played a role in where you are now in terms of your For me personally, yes. I mean, I, I, I'm a strong believer in it. Um, I, I think it is very helpful. Um, you know, again, um, I'm very lucky. I've also done a lot of competitions that I also enjoyed for myself. They're not for everybody, but, um, but again, everything needs, we need to improve on certain structures and uh, that that's what'll happen. I hope it'll continue. And I think going back to Leah, you know, I think what happened in 2020, everyone got, you know, really involved emotionally with a lot of different topics but the real work comes after, right? It's easy to get caught up in the moment and go, yeah, and you know, and march and all and go protesting and and taking a selfie when you're when you're when you're protesting. But what's the follow-up? That's the that's the real hard work that comes up. That's when, you know, what are you willing to do to get your fingernails dirty? Um, and that continuation, a lot of people don't have the stamina to deal with that because to be honest with you, even myself, emotionally can be incredibly exhausting. And if you look at people that are involved, you know, full deep into the nonprofit world, um, you'll see there's a lot of burnout. The burnout rate is quite high. You're absolutely right, Yannick. Um, it's, I'm all about a good protest, but I also think it's important that we're at the table. Um, and because that's where things are changing and that's where things are happening. Um, it's, it's, really imperative that we keep our eyes and stay awake to what's happening. It's so hard. I mean, we all have had to take social media breaks and um, just to breathe. Um, but the work is endless and so incredibly important to get systemic change done. And education comes in many different forms. Um, some of it's credentialed and some of it's not. But as long as you're learning and 
and seeking out people who are doing the things that you want to do and and reaching out and having a conversation. Mentorship comes in different forms as well. Um, all of these are things are important, but to Leah's point, the, the tree has to be solid. It has to have a great foundation if this is going to flourish. I would just add to one of the things we realized, um, education so critical. Recognition is also a great way to really elevate folks. So we didn't have a lot of funding in our foundation, still don't. So I think that's just what it looks like to be a nonprofit probably, probably these days. But one of our, the first things we did um, was kind of our flagship program is we started a vineyard employee recognition program. And so every month our, our grape growers, the farmers nominate one of their workers in an area. And we do both hard and soft skills. So it can be like safety and pruning, but also leadership, innovation, communication. Um, and then we actually, you know, they get a $500 gift card and, you know, they get there. Actually, we put their picture in our local paper, both in English and Spanish. We recognize them. And then the, the, the best thing we've done, or I would say my favorite event is we've, um, we, we create an annual recognition program. So we invite them, all the winners, they get to host the table. They invite their family to see that they have been recognized, that they matter, that they they're being invested in. Um, to an awards sort of luncheon. Um, we do it, we have a mariachi band, our congressman comes and he actually pre um, presents the sort of vineyard employee of the year. And it's just incredible to see, you know, these men and women and their kids are there and recognizing that what their mom or dad does matters, that they're an important part of our community. And it was a really inexpensive way to sort of say, well, how do we bridge, you know, education with recognition to sort of make someone feel good, right? At the end of the day, we all want to feel good. We want to feel like what we do is important and have that, you know, attachment. And so for us, that was just, I tell everyone, I'm like the, the fastest, cheapest way to sort of make some progress is to make someone feel good about what they're doing. And, and it's, it's cheap to give an award, right? It's really inexpensive. And so I love it. And it's it kind of our flagship program now. That's really fantastic. And it's not one that I can say that I was really that aware of. I mean, I'm sure I've seen those photos. I'm sure I was uh, seen those um, the wineries communicating about this award, but I can't say that I would tie it back to you. So it's really yeah. good to know that to make that we, connection. We had this phenomenal thing happened where the first year everyone was like, "What are you doing?" And then by the second year, when the employee would come up because we'd recognize them, they come up on stage, they get their plaque and you know their their award. They started to give speeches, and then they didn't really realize they could give speeches. So some some of the um, uh, men and women who had already received their award actually came back up to the stage and were like, no, I want to talk now. And it was like this incredible, like they had a chance to have their voice heard in front of their peers, in front of their employers, in front of their families. And it was just incredible. And their kids got up and talked about what it meant. And all of a sudden it was something that was supposed to be, you know, an hour and a half lunch turned into a three hour, you know, chat and communication and just like family. And it, it was just, like I said, I can't, it was unexpected um, to have that that sense of community and um, and I it, it's just awesome. So okay, it's hard it's hard to measure that with a metric. It's hard to measure the success of that with a metric. I know we talked about talked a little bit about the idea of how to measure success. Um, Leah, would you consider that success? Um, I I actually would disagree. I don't think it's difficult to. Unfor I'll, I agree and disagree. I don't think it's difficult to measure that success if we're saying, again, going back to reporting for McKinsey um, reports that say that more diverse 
also more engaged workforces are more uh, productive. Is there a way to say that because of this experience and if you had like productivity, um, productivity's markers to say this is where we are and then since then we've had these initiatives for recognition that there is a way to say a year from now productivity has increased. Um, so drawing that correlation I don't think is hard but then it's also making sure that we don't exploit this and say yeah we're going to do all this stuff because we want productivity so we're, we're, we're actually going to be performative. So there is a way to measure. Um, however, we need to consider um, making sure that it's not uh, exploitation um, because that does exist. Um, but I, I, I love that you do that because, you know, I see you're saying that, you know, it's not just that individual, it's also their family, you know, and it's also leadership, having a congressperson come, you know, and do that. It's, it's investing in um, your space, but if they're, I would consider um, if there was a way to start somewhere and get feedback, you know, do surveying from your um, workers and say, how do you feel right now? And then see how they feel a year from now and present this and make this something that's shareable in public. You're setting best practices for other wineries and um, in, uh, other industry leaders that might have overlooked the impact that you're making within your organization. So I think it's very important if you can do surveying to do that and have that on record. Such an excellent point. It came up in chat at the same time too, Leah, where Tanya mentioned something about asking wineries if they surveyed their employees. So, you know, it. I think your point about being wary of exploitation and that was kind of, was in the back of my mind too. I'm wondering, how to be wary, how to, how to not fall into that trap of even doing it inadvertently, you know? Yeah, and I think, but Deborah, I think maybe that's why you haven't really heard much about it. For us, it was about bringing a community together and not selling the idea that we're doing that, but doing it because it mattered to the folks that we were supporting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in some ways that the fact that you haven't heard about it is a good thing. I mean, that we're doing it because we want to do it and because it matters. Not yeah, not for... Yeah. Like we don't invite the media. We don't invite yeah. people to come. I mean, we invite the local, some of our elected officials because we think that matters that someone, Leah, to your point, the congressman shows up, he's handing them the award. He's talking about what he's doing in Congress around immigration reform and to support migrant workers and what that looks like and DACA and, uh, and all that. So he's sharing that story directly with them in their language. Um, and I think that is like, that's what was the, the connection. I meant not with media, but with associate associations um, that everybody's with, not publicly for everyone, but within associate. Yeah, got it. Got it. Yeah. So the, kind of the so it's more of an internal. It's an internal type of communication versus a versus a broader community wide communication. Um, I feel checking. Just checking. I'm so sorry, Leah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Clearly, you're not just checking a box. This is something that's a part of the fabric of what you're doing. And it's so incredibly important. And you're doing it in private. You're not doing it out, out loud in public and so that it's a performance piece. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. I agree. Well, we, agree. we've got about two minutes left here for our session. So this time for, for final words of encouragement, I think. 
as we move forward. Let's do oh, Good luck, Candy. Yes, Alicia. Let's do this. Let's change this world. This is what we set out to do. So let's do it. And I think for myself, at least thinking beyond the boundaries of education is going to be really important. And that, that whole, the whole concept of soft skills in addition to just, you know, wine theory or wine tasting or whatever I'm immersed in on a daily basis, the idea of how to incorporate more soft skills, uh, communication skills and advocacy skills in, uh, in the education work that I'm doing. So I have some takeaways from this panel for sure. I would say if I can, um, let's not forget about 2020. Um, I think we should constantly be talking about 2020. Um, let, let, I don't want Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement to be some kind of trend because there needs to be a follow-up. This needs to be continually practiced. You know what I mean? We need to be aware. And it's not just those two topics. There's a lot of other topics that did come out of 2020, but I'm, my greatest fear is that it, 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 it was a trend and, and, and not everybody, but a lot of people are slowly forgetting about it. And that there's a reason why we're in this whole kind of mess. Yes, COVID was a big reason why restaurants got destroyed, but there are a lot of other factors and we all know what they are. You know, There's a lot of cultural aspects that need to change. So I think we need to continue to have this conversation. We need to ingrain that with not just people in our industry, but also like you said, Deborah, um, um, for consumers. And as Alicia said, let it not be performative. I would just add, I'm super inspired. So thank you, Deborah, and all my fellow panelists. And I think just being able to look across at what other leaders are doing, what other folks are doing, and how taking some of, like I said, some of those best practices that may not be completely relevant to grape growing in Sonoma County, but there's a piece of it that you can sort of take and say that we could do something with that. And we can sort of make it our own and customize that to, to make a, a more impact and a, and a difference. So again, really inspired by all of you. So thank you for for letting me be a part of this conversation. Great. Thanks everyone for your time today.